Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm Emily Newman. And I'm Catherine Doggall. This podcast is a chance to mull over the current goings on in hotel land, chat to some pleasant folk about things they know and provide some interest for your ears. We've brought our journalism and communication experience together with our sector knowledge and contacts to create a strategic PR company which understands investing in hotels and the many roles within them. This week we're joined by Christian Mole, Head of Hospitality and Leisure at EY, and we speculate on the transactions market, business travel, and what the Tourist Board of Southampton could possibly be doing. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. Um, We are delighted to be joined once again, but we'll explain why later, by Christian Mould, who is Head of UK Hospitality and Leisure at EY. Welcome, Christian. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Nice to see you again. Lovely to have you, Catherine. How are you live from Paris? I am super live from Paris. How are you live from places you've been? (laughs) Places I have been places again. Places. I have. I've been to Southampton. Yes, you see, and this is why I suspect. <laughs> so by the time you you hear this, uh, gentle reader, <clears throat> you will be locked down again um, in the in the UK and you won't be able to go anywhere. And that's because Emily took her opportunity to go anywhere in the in the in the British Isles, anywhere at all she could go. And she went to Southampton. And the authorities have looked at this and gone, you know what? If you're gonna ruin waste <laughs> waste your freedom like this by going to Southampton where I went to school so it's legitimate my criticism then we can't help you and no one can travel I feel uh, like and it I was think that's very fair. irresponsible travel yes was. yes everyone keeps talking about how we're going to be changing travel after this we're all going to be traveling so differently and the streets of Paris aren't going to be clogged up with with tourists and all that kind of thing and we're all not going to go to Venice and we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that we're going to be much more conscious in our travel and yet you consciously went to Southampton People, you need to make raw, responsible choices with your travel because you are very actually ruining it for everyone. I can only apologise on behalf of everybody. And as if your prediction comes true, which I suspect it will, we're all locked down. It will be, de- it will be delightful that my like, the abiding memory of tourism and travel and leisure is Southampton. Um, <laughs> I can only apologise. There is a pig there. There is a pig. So that is the saving grace. And we enjoyed some of the pig nibbles and beer and was all right it was all right only all right that's the pig it's all right pass muster it drags <laughs> anyway i don't want the southampton tourist board on my case so let's just move i don't think on. Southampton tourist board i think the Southampton tourist board have a load of other things to deal with before they get to you <laughs> low down on their priority uh how are the mean streets of paris busy vibrant full very, of street drinking there we've had another two new restaurants open since last week um and another an extra ephemeral terrace has popped up uh the, the owner of the ephemeral terrace which will be hosting vietnamese food i'm sure i was very angry this morning when i let the dog piss on it so um considering it's just bits of decking nailed together <laughs> just be, possibly being a little precious about the situation but, but that's where we are there's so many places to eat now that there's no way that the dog can't urinate without destroying someone's business so <clears throat> busy 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 it's a skill and how are you christian you are in the office i am but i have i did i did manage to escape during half term week to a few places it was 
good to oh, go. Which but places have went, you been to? I went to the in-laws in Gower in South Wales for the start of. Oh, nice. Which was a block with cars. At one point, I had to queue for an hour to get to a beach car park while the rest of the family got out and left me there. Annoying, but that was and restaurants all packed out there as well. And the end of the week went to Cambridge. Was originally meant mm. to go to Rome, but obviously that bit of dust a few weeks ago. But Cambridge again, which I think is probably as a destination is going to basically if any destination be packed out in half term, it's going to be Cambridge. And it was gloriously sunny apart from one day of rain. Um, played a, a hotel called Devasti, which I very much recommend. Had a big rooftop bar which queues with big queues marvelous views over the cambridge over the city i really had a good weekend there i would recommend cambridge as a, as a place to go you see emily responsible choices I feel like i could learn a lot from this podcast yes <laughs> i promise not to do it again it will never ever really ever again um, on to the news, um, and aside from Boris's frolicking um, on a beach, which we're now, it, it's sort of, it's sort of in the I can still, in see, it. I can still see the wake, wake the wake as he dives in, and all of the little sea creatures are immediately beached onto the, onto the sand. I think it's sort of tattooed into my retina, which would be sad for forevermore. Aside from that news, um, Kristen, what's going on in your world? What are you, what, who's, who are you talking to? How are they feeling about everything? Deals wise, give us an overview. Well, after a moribund year, I think the deals market in the hotel space is starting to take off. I think um, so far it's largely single asset deals with a couple of small port of dual assets, but it feels like there's a lot more out there and coming through. Um, the slight challenge you probably got is that the deals market as a whole has been so hot the last six or seven months it's capacity to actually advise on these deals is actually quite limited and quite a few deals where we almost having to say we can't do them we're too busy unfortunately um which is a bit of a pain you wait you wait all this year for the opportunities to come along and they come along you're almost you're sold out um i think the fact that the horizon portfolio uh fetched a decent sum has basically created a lot of uh, more confidence in the sector that basically buyers out there and that values are, of hold, are holding up better than expected. Uh, you've also got sort of a few trophy, but uh, sort of a few trophy hunters out there buying a few things and keeping values up that way. Um, I think the slight concern I still have is about what's going to happen over the remainder of the year. Everything feels quite buoyant at the moment. During half term week, I think occupancies I saw are up to about 60 65% across the UK as a whole. Um, what's going to happen post-September when I think everyone's back at school, back at work, and you're a bit more reliant on business travel, that's where I'm not quite so optimistic about. I'm still a little bit concerned that maybe you're entering a period where that ramp-up and return is going to be quite slow. If that comes at the same time as all the government support taps are being turned off, then you could find yourself in a... Yeah, with a few difficulties out there in the market. What's the um, what's the general view on business travel from EY? Is it approach with caution or shutters are up, off you go, depending or destination, location specific? Caution at the moment, I think, and very much it's 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 destination specific. The official guidance is still only work in the office if you have, if if you need to, or if you've got a particular reason for doing so. And the vast majority of people are still very much working from home here. It's starting to build. Uh, not very quickly, judging by the, the, the trains I'm getting on, it's still a vast majority of people are still working from home. Um, 
we are seeing you know, what you are seeing is a lot more people going out for business lunches, etc. That, that at least is coming back. Uh, business travel bits will very much be accepted. I think the guidance, meanwhile, will generally basically follow whatever the guidance is comes from the government on 21st of June, wherever it is, I expect. 10 past six this evening. <laughs> we, we shall know more, hopefully. Um, how much of the, as and when we do get back to some sort of something that we resemble, maybe something that we resemble, something that re- resembles some sort of normality, how, how much of the old ways do you think will stick? Will there be an element of Zoom meetings that are forevermore or is everyone just sort of sick of it and, because there's an, there's an element of efficiency to them, perhaps, but then potentially when you're on a Zoom train six six hours a day, it's too much. Do you think there'll be a, a balance? I, I think the biggest complaint I hear is that people just find themselves doing Zoom all day long, especially if you're working from home. And you're working from home is basically slipping into living in the office. You basically get up, you do your first call at eight o'clock on Zoom, and it carries on, on, on until the end of the day. And then you find yourself getting five o'clock i've had a whole day of zoom i haven't really advanced my to-do list forward very much so it does become and that's that's a not untypical complaint i hear uh so zoom has kind of taken over a bit um i think the genie's out of the bottle um you won't get rid of it completely but there is a kind of desire for a lot of people i hear to actually get back to some sort of physical meetings and have the interaction that way a lot of stuff is lost on zoom obviously at the same time there are there, are, there is quite a lot of people who Surprisingly, younger members of our team as well who are a bit who are a bit concerned about travelling, concerned about risks from Corona, and also those are thinking, well, I don't really want to do the commute anymore. It suits me to work from home, and it works, and it works pretty well. I've got the setup here, and I it, I can work more efficiently at home. It really, I think it, it differs a bit on what kind of person you are. I think a lot of people I think need to have that, that sort of physical contact with people. Others don't need it so much and happy to do that work from home. And I'm, I don't really know how it's going to shape up in the next year In the next year or so. There's no doubt in my mind, if you've got part of your team at home, part of your team in the office, it does create difficulties. It's not so easy to manage a team. It's in the in those far-off days when most people were in the office, you wanted to actually go and speak to somebody about how you wanted the piece of analysis done. You go over and speak to them, say, it's how it's done. Nowadays, you have to find out if they're if showing the green light on teams that are available. So it, wants, it takes a bit longer. Um, and I don't know yet to what extent it's going to be that technology is going to work with three or four people in the office, three or four people um, are home in Zoom. That's going to be something different. It's very different, different at the moment because everyone's on Zoom and everyone's crowding into a, into one room here to try and get on a central Zoom. I'm not sure how it will work. Um, what I also have is probably if you have a certain proportion of people working from home all the time, what does that do to your whole – how do you create any sort of team atmosphere on one day? That's what I'm concerned about in the long run. Um, I think in terms of what – I guess the converse of that interest is it, it might be more demand to actually get people out of the office into actually for actually bonding sessions or team sessions, which could provide a bit of boost to my business potentially. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes up. Do you think you're going to end up with more people working from home but being freelance and the people who are coming to the office being the salaried ones? Because it's almost this, you know, I don't want to... 
when uh, <laughs> when I used to work for a well-known publisher and we used to have evening and weekend events or evening and weekend set up for events, it was always the, and this is going to come across very badly, but I'm going to allow it. Um, it was always the people with kids who could say, oh, I can't come and do that because the kids this and the kids that. And these are, I have a kids and they are legitimate reasons why you can't come and do something. But there was a lot of griping behind the scenes about, well, you know, we're all getting paid the same amount and we have to do less. And, you know, wider society issues were not necessarily always played out in the in the most cheery ways. And certainly those who didn't have that as an issue were also not getting woken up at three o'clock in the morning by vomiting children and, you know, wouldn't be catered for in <clears throat> future pensions and, and things like that. But do you think if you're working from home all the time and it suits you and then you've got people who are going into the office who are commuting, who are paying to commute and who are thinking, I have to commute and I pay to commute and I go in and these people are, you know, getting essentially more money from staying at home and things along those lines. Do you think they'll end up being the people who work from home, the people who go into the office? And will that be relevant even for career advancement and things like that? We end up thinking, well, you know, I don't want to necessarily have to pay all the benefits for somebody if they're just going to sit around at home um, maybe that's just i give that to the office workers i haven't heard that raised as a topic yet because everyone is pretty much in the same boat i don't my guess is it will be quite difficult for people going forward to work entirely from home i think the expectation will be you'll be expected to spend at least one or two days in the office i don't think we're going to i don't think we're going to go the same way as some companies, I think it might be Google, are saying we're going to let people work wherever they want and particularly potentially five days from home if they wish. I think the sort of guidance is kind of, we, we expect people are going to be spending at least two to three days a week in the office. And we'll, But if you get to a situation where it becomes clear that a lot of people aren't doing it and a lot of people are spending five days a week in the office, I think we might need to think about it again. Just because of the, Not so much, I think, because of that it will raise disgruntlement in terms of people saying, well, I'm not, I'm paying out for commuting and they're not. More of that's the fact that it's making it more difficult to actually do the job. And given we are pretty much all working on teams, whatever engagement we're doing, if you've got a team that's physically split up all the time, that's going to make it more difficult in terms of efficiency. So clearly you work in a much more wholesome office environment than all the all the office environments I've worked with. Where, where it's very wholesome, yeah. I'd heard that. I'd heard that. Disgruntlement is key. <laughs> Um, speaking of disgruntlement, um, there seems to be a lot of people that are disgruntled about working in the hospitality sector and providing hospitality to our, to to the sector. Um, and uh, I don't know if we've mentioned, but I did go to Southampton this weekend, um, and there were some. <laughs> and, uh, did some that people make you there. disgruntled? <laughs> it made me observe a lot of things. Um, so so. Um, I sort of mini interview anyone and everyone that cares to deliver hospitality to me. Um, and an overwhelming majority of them ha- were new, fresh. I've worked, the standard response when I asked how long have you worked here for was a month. Um, so oh, from reopening then. Um, I don't know, Christian, when you were um, in Cambridge and on the Gower, were there, how was the sort of, were there, were there places that were shut? Were there, was there lots of good hospitalitying going on? Yeah, I mean, certainly. Cambridge, it all seemed pretty well resourced. I mean, the one thing I noticed from Cambridge was when I did, when we went out to try and find a pub, it was quite hard to get into a pub because there was a typical one there, which basically you're not allowed to stand. It didn't have that much seating in there. It looked pretty, lots of space in the but not enough seating, so it couldn't let me in. And that made me think, crikey, this was on a really packed out Saturday evening in Cambridge. Sun was out. 
and they were only probably being allowed to actually have capacity of about 20% of something they would normally have on Saturday night. And that was the only real experience I had of it, to be honest with you. But then I was probably staying at, a, say, a pretty nice hotel, but probably they would possibly pay a little bit more to its staff and probably haven't got the staffing issues that maybe a lot of restaurants have. I didn't experience it myself. I know a friend that's basically off to the Isle of Wight in a couple of weeks and they've been told by the restaurant they were booked with that basically, sorry, we're having to move your dinner to lunch because we don't have any staff to do the dinner circuit. So that's the evidence I've got of it. And that's what mirrors what you hear about the, the, uh, the Gavroche sort of cancelling the lunch service. I was just about to say that. Yeah, yeah. They don't have enough staff to provide lunch, do they? Well, I see on the Isle of Wight, they're all on the mainland in Southampton, you see. It's uh, seamless. Waiting for Emily. Waiting for Emily. (laughs) Oh, I feel I may never be able to go back there. Well, hopefully not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, so what what sort of work are you doing? This this work that you um, so you mentioned that you are you having to turn down work. You're that busy. What kind of work are you doing at the moment? Work we have have been doing to do is is essential. All of it is is hotel buyer sites where there's an exclusivity effectively, where you've managed to avoid a sort of wide auction process. And it is basically basically trying to get your due diligence out of the door uh, but before we actually sign up to a final sound purchase agreement. So you've agreed the heads of terms and it's bring us in to basically kick the tires, essentially, bring the lawyers as well. So that's the most standard work, uh, stuff we're seeing. I'm not seeing so many portfolios yet, I think. Um, Horizon was, seems to be pretty much the exception. And then... The deluge, the deluge. Is it? When's it, it coming? Is it yet? <laughs> it was supposed to be the first quarter. The thing that surprises me still is you do look at if you do if you do a bit of digging and look at some of the portfolios that are out there, which are owned by private equity real estate funds. There's an awful lot of debt in them, and they're it's very high multiples of EBITDA. Um, and generally, I think banks lenders have been pretty calm, pretty relaxed over the period. They haven't wanted to push it too far. But now I think a lot of them are basically will be looking to see with interest what does happen in terms of trading um, in, right now and in the next quarter and how soon it recovers. Um, because they're not going to want to sit there and be saying, well, I'm, say, I'm content for you not to be servicing the debt and continue to break your covenant. At the same time, as I know, there's a lot of sources of capital out there. So I, can, I think you're going to see a situation where banks will be saying, right, well, I'm going to be thinking of taking action here unless you are prepared to go and find some more either equity either from yourself or from another source or debt from another source to plug, to, to plug the gap because I, I'm not going to not going to be able to, to to basically carry on having my debt not serviced to my interest. Not paid. And that's something going to come to the floor, floor, I think, very much over Q3 and Q4. And are we going to then end up in a robbing Peter to pay Paul environment where everything just gets kicked down the road? I don't think it's going to be... Like that, where it was that, that kind of situation back in 2010, simply because I think there is just a lot more capital out there than there was back then. I mean, ever since the pandemic came in, we've been taking lots of calls from uh, capital providers, whether it's UK, overseas, wherever, um, saying we've got a lot of money, we believe long-term in the hotel sector, hospitality sector, want to invest it. The message has been ever since then, there's been no supply. They haven't been able to pull it anywhere. You're now starting to see that, stuff come through. If I were a bank, I would say, why should I be the one that there's capital out there that you, Mr. Borrow, can go, can go and get? And yet, you might actually have your equity diluted, equity diluted a bit, but it means you'll have to take a bit of a hit because we've taken a hit for quite a while in terms of having our debt not service and our interest not paid. And that's how I see it actually going. 
but it does require the banks to be a little bit more forceful than perhaps they have been so far. Um, but I think the trick is going to be, if you look at your, a, a typical sort of business-focused hotel, pretty soon it's going to have it's going to start start paying rates. It's going to have to start making tough decisions on staff because the furloughing is going to end. And I don't see business travel zooming back to the pre-pandemic levels in short order. So they, they're hopefully they'll be able to get some sort of break-even occupant break-even occupancy. Um, but I think it'll take a while to get to real decent levels of profitability, and that's why the bank's going to be pushing for some sort of action. You mentioned um, banks being forceful. On sort of general forcefulness and um, being pleasant and all that, do you think uh, you've obviously got – you have interactions and relationships with, with lots of different um, parts of the hotel stack. Do you – is there a general kind of more purposeful conversations and niceties going on? Or do you think this has brought people more in line? Or is there still a sense of, well, this is what I need to happen, and so that's what's happening? I think perhaps the non-retail bank lenders are perhaps having the more, are being a bit more pushy, I think, and basically already making the borrower actually come up with alternative proposals. My sense is that the actual retail banks are perhaps just flagging that in the second half, things are going to, they're going to have to look at this a bit more forcefully. Uh, but so far, I think so far, but it's a bit of a wait and see. Let's just wait and see. What does happen when we open up? We've got some hard stats on occupancy and what's happening in the general market. Which is why I guess it's so important, isn't it, that we we need to know when we need to know when the sector needs to know when it can open up. It needs a plan. It can't just kind of carry on waiting and waiting and waiting. Go on, Catherine. No, I mean I have a plan. Um, I was wondering, are you saying that um, the, the the business? Business travel isn't going to come back in that kind of big rocket that we thought we were. But everyone's expecting leisure travel, which obviously is, is not so lucrative, but leisure travel to come rocketing back with all this pent-up savings that everyone apparently has and how many billions it was in savings that everyone is storing. Do you think everyone's going to deploy those savings? Or do you think some people are going to think, actually, I quite like having savings and maybe I'm not going to splash it all immediately as everyone seems to think that they are? No, I think this summer people are going to, Use their savings, and they're going to be going on holiday. And they're going to be forced to get. They're likely to be forced to go to the UK because there's no option anywhere else. I mean, that's true. And then they will need all their savings for In theory, I was hoping to go to the US for a holiday. It was deferred from last year, but I'm facing to, to possibility that ain't going to happen. So I just did a bit of a browse at the weekend around the sort of the, the uh, UK cottage sites I've previously used, and availability is pretty low, and what is left is pretty high. So. The, so there's a huge so money's already being spent out there, and I, and I speak to all the various people who are in the holiday parks. For example, they got they have record levels of demand this year. So there's no doubt everyone is basically keen to get away, even if irrespective of the risk of British weather. So you are going to see great results for leisure focused hotels and holiday parks, etc. This summer, no doubt about it at all. But that's only going to take. But that's only going to take you through to September, and that isn't probably likely to help. A lot of the hotels, which basically are perhaps more business focused in secondary areas on the edge of regional cities, and then come the sort of first bank holiday weekend, when presumably, presumably by September, most people in the UK will have been double vaccinated, and then can come and visit me in the EU. Um, will everyone be immediately screw you guys? We're going to Greece. I don't think it's going to be quite a screw you guys. We're going to Greece. I think there's no doubt that 
the, the, the level of demand for UK vacation is not going to be repeated next year. I mean, hopefully it will, the hope is it will basically convince a lot of people to think of the merits of going for weekends in the UK uh, or taking second holidays in the UK doing. But I think you will see a, a big return to overseas holidays next year, no doubt about it. And it's interesting at the moment, I think you're starting to see quite a lot of activity, transaction activity, I think, in the holiday park sector. And I think they are basically going off, I'm surprised, of incredibly strong 2021 results. But I think I think buyers there hopefully are, have worked out for themselves that 2021 is unlikely to be repeated in 2022. Unless, of course, you have a few more variants from the same place next year as we are this year. But 2021 is a boom year for holiday parks, and I understand why a lot of owners are thinking we should, sort of, we should go to market off the back of this. To the market, indeed. Um, any other concluding thoughts or observations or, you know, just crystal ball gazing? Please do. I still think that quote, I forget it was from... The, the UK hotel sector is under demolished will potentially come <laughs> true in the next couple of years. I still think there's quite a few hotels there which are independent or being given some sort of semi-brand, not in great locations. I think they're going to struggle. I think you'll see, you'll see a rush back to the brands, better invested ones. A lot of these sort of look like zombie hotels, but you know what I mean. They'll find themselves in the firing line for redevelopment, whether it's as residential care homes but I think you will see a bit of a, quite a fundamental, quite a big shift in the next couple, in the next few years, potentially in the hotel sector. Now is not the glory time for OYO, then. Well, what, what I yeah, what, what I read about them doesn't suggest that that market that <laughs> that is going to be anything other than a, a uh, challenging sector to be operating in the next few years. I think. I mean, what has been encouraging, I think, though, however, is that what a better phrase, blue collar. Travel, uh, travel was held up because those working on construction sites, long time projects, they've based, I, I think, who have been perhaps more concentrated in, in the budget in the limited service sector. That level of demand has held up pretty well. And it's also interesting to see, I found that uh, those figures I've seen was in the extended stay sector. I think they've consistently since during the whole pandemic period has seen occupancies something like 15, 20 percentage points ahead of the rest of the accommodation sector. So there's no doubt that's that's a sector that's, that's done well. And I think that will probably will probably a shift see a shift towards that sector going will be maintained going forwards. And you can clean it yourself as well. Always always good to know. There's a tagline. Which is you can have that one for free, whoever fancies it. Um Catherine, any other thoughts, further thoughts from you? Uh, no, I continue to be gripped um, by what's going to happen to you guys this evening. Um, but by the time you listen to this, it will have already happened. What's the view? What's the view from France about how we're treating it? Is the view that basically UK is being ridiculously cautious? You are incredibly irresponsible and stay the hell away from the UK. I saw I saw my doctor last week uh, on an unrelated matter, and he is of uh, British descent. And I said, you know, how's your past year been? It's been it's been difficult. Uh, and he said, if you're thinking of going anywhere in the summer, please don't go to England because they have no control over what they're doing. Right, that's reassuring. So, yeah. my, <laughs> so hopes, the view. My, my hopes for the last minute US holiday are gone and my hopes I might get a last minute passport to be able to go into Europe. That's not going to happen either. So I, just I can highly recommend Southampton. 
exactly. The, the trouble is, the trouble is, 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 is the, your fluffy haired leader and his bounding around shirtless in the sea. It's oh no, <laughs> I just got it out. Of it's my just, head. it's not, it's not. People in Europe look at that and they go, "That's not how you do it." Please don't do that. That's what they're thinking more than anything else. I think, for God's sakes, get some product. That's the Turkish view. barber. That's what side. you need. Just or just a hat. <laughs> A swimming hat. She should have put a swimming hat Perfect. on. Perfect. Solves his problems. <laughs> well, on that cheery note, and I do apologise for the mental image that we're leaving you with, but thank you so much <laughs> for joining us, Kristen. Lovely to have you with us again. Um, do try and all kind of erase that that sort of image from your head happens. and, and um, carry on with the rest of your day. Thank you again. Thank you. Good to see you. Always a delight. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.